This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pitcock, and I'm with William Hazelgrove, and we'll be talking about his new book, Writing Gatsby, which comes out October 1st. So, William, what can you tell me about the book? Oh, you know, a lot of people have seen The Great Gatsby, obviously the movie, um, but what most people don't know is what F. Scott Fitzgerald went through um, when he wrote it. He actually left America and went to the Riviera for six months in 1924. And, you know, really what he went through is just unbelievable in terms of, you know, being able to put put out this book while he was writing it. And, you know, and really Gatsby mirrors his own life. And and so this is this is really the, the premise I took and sort of, you know, what I found out, which was, you know, and we can get into this more, of course, but, um, you know, he obviously was somewhat of an alcoholic and um, there was a suicide attempt by his wife and just a lot of different things that really informed the Gatsby that, you know, most people just simply aren't aware of. How did you choose what to highlight in this story? Um, you know, it's narrative nonfiction, so it's written like a novel. Mm-hmm. I wrote 10 novels before I wrote 12 narrative nonfiction books. And so I really, you know, I just started with his life um, in New York. And really, they were the first sort of, if you will, rock star couple. Um, you know, up to then, there wasn't a youth culture. You know, we're used to this huge youth culture in the United States. But, you know, in 1920, there was nothing. There was just simply the adult culture. We, were, we just transitioned from this rural society to an urban society. So these two young 20-somethings hit New York. Uh, Fitzgerald's novel comes out. And they go on basically a nonstop party that, you know, today would mirror something like a rock star, you know, or an actor, a successful actor would engage in. But again, there was no roadmap because there there was no youth culture as we know it. So, So really they were, you know, the first. And this is fascinating because this urban... Uh, culture that they're experimenting with is really what Fitzgerald will put into The Great Gatsby. Um, because Great Gatsby is really the first comment on what we see as, you know, sort of the modern urban world, uh, certainly of New York. And nobody had put this together yet. I mean, modernism really didn't come in until after World War One, And so Zelda, who's the southern belle who Fitzgerald meets at a military camp in, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, you know, she comes to New York. Uh, Fitzgerald is from St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and, you know, he comes there. And they're, they're like babes in the woods almost in terms of all of a sudden they're the center of everything going on. Because it is written in a, did you say historical narrative form? How did you choose the quotes that you used? Because it's very embedded in the book um, as far as show it, showcasing how they talked about each other in writing. Well, you know, if you take, like, Scott Fitzgerald and Gatsby, uh, these two marriage. And so, you know, the famous quote of, uh, you can't repeat the past. Of course you can. Well, the reason Fitzgerald puts that into Gatsby is because um, Zelda basically wouldn't marry him. Um, until he, you know, proved he could be successful. And, you know, he was like a one in a million shot. I mean, he's like, I'm going to be this successful novelist. Well, you know, good luck with that. That's a really hard thing to pull off. Well, he pulls it off. 
So after she dumps him, after she says, I, you know, it's over, mm-hmm. he goes back to Alabama and gets her to marry him. And essentially, he does repeat the past. But, of course, it's not as good. She sort of, you know, made her intentions clear that, you know, money was very important to her. And, and even though, you know, she does marry him, it's not going to work out for them. And, of course, in The Great Gatsby, um, the listeners who you know, have seen it, um, you know, Daisy and Gatsby, uh, Gatsby's trying to go back and repeat his own love affair with Daisy, which, uh, again, was uh, when he was in the military, which mirrors Fitzgerald. And, of course, that's not going to work out either um, because you can't repeat the past. But this is so. This is one of the, you know, the earlier quotes that I, that I picked out of it. Um, and, you know, in even the affair in Gatsby, right, so Zelda and Fitzgerald are in um, the Riviera, which is beautiful, it's these beaches in France, and Zelda met, meets this young aviator who's this very handsome guy, and while Fitzgerald is working every day on The Great Gatsby, she's having, she has an affair, and then she comes back to Fitzgerald and says, look, I, I want a divorce, I'm, I'm going to leave you, which is exactly what happens in Gatsby, in the climactic scene of the Classic Hotel in New York, where, you know, Daisy uh, and and Gatsby confront Tom, and, and Daisy says, I'm leaving you, and Tom says, uh, no, you're not. No, you're not, not for a, a shyster like this. I mean, he pretty much shows up Gatsby. Well, what happens in real life is that Fitzgerald actually locks Zelda in a room to keep her from leaving him, literally keeping him from leaving. And this is something, too, that I should mention here. Fitzgerald always used Zelda in all his books for his heroine, um, basically his character. So, you know, he created the flapper. F. Fitzgerald created the flapper, as we know it, which was a, a liberated woman of the 1920s with bobbed hair, um, you know, smoke, drank, talked about sex. And, you know, so Zelda was his creation in stories and novels and and certainly in Gatsby. And so he could not afford, think about this, he could not afford for his character to run off because he wouldn't know what's going to happen. I mean, Fitzgerald literally uh, recorded, you know, what Zelda was doing. He used her diaries in different books and short stories. And so in Gatsby, when she says, I'm leaving you, well, he's not finished with the book yet either. He needs her. And so he literally locks his character in a bedroom um, for a month to keep her there from leaving him so he can finish his, this novel and and uh, keep his marriage together. So you said that Fitzgerald basically created the flapper. How did that affect his relationship with her? Yeah, good question. Oh, you know, it, it wasn't great because, all right, so Zelda is, you know, so like an early Madonna, if you will. I mean, she's just drinking like crazy. They literally, when I say they drink, I don't mean they're going out for one night. I mean, they're going on week-long benders where they're going from one party to another. And so, you know, this flapper who, who Fitzgerald created and who, and who was Zelda was this woman who was pushing the boundaries of everything, you know, from uh, drinking to smoking to, like I said, to sex and to expressing herself. And Zelda actually wrote several articles about the flapper for different newspapers and magazines. And, you know, it wasn't going to end well because, you know, the 
this flapper that uh, Fitzgerald created had a sort of short shelf life. I mean, by you know, 1925, 1926, the, the whole sort of flapper movement, it sort of burned itself out. Yet here was his wife who was getting older. And so what is this person who's always pushing boundaries going to do? Well, we see this constantly with rock stars and other artists who, you know, as they get older, you know, what do you do if you're, you know, a rebel without a cause? And that sort of became Zelda. And so Zelda was sort of cast adrift while Fitzgerald always had his writing. She had nothing. And so she started to pick up uh, a ballet and started to train crazily to be a ballerina because she needed some sort of identity beyond this sort of character that Fitzgerald created. And, and unfortunately, she started to suffer from mental illness and schizophrenia and eventually was institutionalized in the 1930s. And this is all, you know, a lot of it is, you know, was in her genetics. Uh, that, you know, there was there was some mental illness in her family, but certainly also too, it was that you know there was no roadmap for her. Um, that this this sort of life that she and Scott had created could not come out well because it was. I mean, think of this: Fitzgerald never owned a place. He never bought a place. They always lived in hotels their entire lives, just moving from one rented either hotel or house or apartment, one rented house or apartment to another. So they, they never really had any roots, you know, to speak of. So you mentioned that um, they drink they drink all the time. How do you think that that played into the writing of Gatsby? Like, was it vital to that process? And how did Fitzgerald sort of deal with that? Well, you know, uh, you know in the beginning, beginning of Gatsby, uh, all his characters come out of, uh, he lives in Great Neck, Long Island. All his characters really come out of that uh, era when uh, he's had huge parties. And of course, if you see the movie Gatsby, you see these just monstrous parties. And that was Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald was having these monstrous parties in Long Island. All these people from New York would come out to see him and, uh, and Zelda. And they would go on for days. And this was very much the 20s. And so this was, the 20s were, uh, Got, like the 80s, 1980s, skyrocketing stock market, money all around, people partying, people just drinking constantly. And so that's very much part of Gatsby. So that actually influenced Gatsby a lot, you know, that that incredible party that had to end at a point. And here's what's really interesting about The Great Gatsby. The book comes out in 1925, and it's a total failure, uh, you know, for sales, critically, it's mixed reviews, critically. And by Christmas, it's gone. It just disappears. So this book that Scott hoped would, you know, help him out financially, solve a lot of his problems, totally, totally tanks. It's not until World War II, this is really a strange story, that they start sending over what's called Armed Services Edition paperback to all the GIs fighting. Uh, and they're basically little teeny paperbacks. And one of them was Gatsby. And they sent over like 200,000 copies of it. So all these GIs that were fighting read this story. And when they came back, they told other people. Some became professors, teachers, uh, worked for libraries. So the book came back from World War II. And then slowly this renaissance occurred till it became the classic it is today. But when Gatsby came out, it was a total, total failure. Why do you think that it became the classic after that initial first exposure in World War II after it had been sort of non-existent since it had been published? You know, I think because enough time had passed where people started to realize that this little book, because it was a short novel, only like 50,000 words, 
um, that this little book was actually the American dream. And what is the American dream? Well, the American dream is to live this incredible life, have you know, get the golden girl, and 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 you know, have money, have a certain degree of of uh, notoriety. And so Fitzgerald, they real start to realize that this story of this bootlegger, which was with Gatsby on Long Island, this little story was actually very much a comment on the American dream. You know, the last line of the great Gatsby is, so we beat on both against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. Well, what that really means is that, you know, even though we're this modern people and cities and, um, you know, you see ourselves very sophisticated, we're actually very much a small town people. The United States was created from all these little towns where you centered around a church and those small town values are actually in everybody still. So, so when Fitzgerald says, so we beat on, both against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past, he's saying that that's, that's the duality of the American dream, is that we're always sort of striving for something, but really our happiness is actually something that's just behind us, something that, that you know, we've, we've lost from these little towns that, you know, we all sort of have inside us. There's a comparison to be made with... Um with Fitzgerald and Gatsby, do you think that there's a reason why he chose to have it written from the perspective of, of Nick Carraway instead of Gatsby? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, good question. Well, you know, Nick Carraway is interesting because Nick Carraway is sort of the everyman of the book, sort of this Midwestern character who who's the observer of Gatsby. So he's the moral center. So really Fitzgerald was pretty brilliant to use him because it allowed us to have an entry point to Gatsby. And Carraway does judge Gatsby, you know, and judges the whole New York scene. And that um, that judgment is, is central to the book because really it's a story of Midwesterners, you know. I mean, Daisy was from the Midwest, Fitzgerald was from the Midwest, and... And really, they all go east, and they find this decadent world of the east. And that's really Nick Carraway's perspective, who, you know, says, you know, he's still, he's giving the story as a look back. You know, he's he's telling what's behind him. And then he goes back to the Midwest at the end. You know, he said, I returned to the Midwest where I had to go back to where the world still made sense. You know, he came from this area where homes were still called by the names of, uh, you know, old families that lived there. And, you know, he begins the book by saying, you know, in my younger, more vulnerable years, I've been turning over some advice my father gave me, which is never judge others who haven't had the same advantages you've had. You know, so he sort of sets up this moral perspective of, of sort of, he's going to be our eyes in to the world of Gatsby. And so he's going to let us see it for a while, and then he's going to pull it back and go back to the Midwest, which... You know, again, it's these sort of small-town values versus the very urban, east, the decadent, you know, world of, of New York and Long Island. Why do, you, why do you think that Fitzgerald was never able to sort of pull himself up out of the decadence and the debauchery of his life with Zelda? I, I think, well, because one, I think, you know, he really was an alcoholic, for one. But two, also, he fed on that. You know, it was it was like cocaine for him. Um, the fame, the adulation, the the parties, the alcohol. Um, you know, these, this informed his writing. I mean, if you go through The Beautiful and the Damned, uh, even to some degree on um, this side of paradise, 
um, and then of course Gatsby. You know, it's all there, and and you know, and I thought, you know, he's 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 self medicated definitely. You know, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of stress and and you know, he had to keep writing Saturday Evening Post stories to make a living because novels didn't provide a living. So the you know, he wrote hundreds and hundreds of these stories for the magazines. And he's very well paid, but you know, he had to keep producing and cranking them out. And that was a lot of pressure on him. Um, and then of course, when Zelda got sick, um, he had to support her, support him, support her in these mental institutions. So, you know, all this sort of combined to, you know, he, he had to keep eating the candy. He had to keep, keep, you know, really probably self-medicating the word, you know, and, and unfortunately he was an alcoholic. What uh, drew you to write this book? I always loved The Great Gatsby, and um, I just I just thought it was just an amazing story. And and then I I I was I read a actually a book on Dickens. A woman had written a book about Charles Dickens and writing um, a Christmas Carol, and it was very interesting because I didn't know how you know what he went through to write it. And so then I I sort of started to wonder, well, what did Gatsby go through? And, or rather, what did Fitzgerald go through? And so then I, I found out that, you know, what happened in the Riviera. And so it really, really informed me about, you know, uh, that there was this whole other story. And and it really was um, uh, a story that most people don't know. You know, most people just think, oh, he just wrote this book. But there there's this incredible story that occurred during the six months of writing this book. And then the, the very fact that this book was a failure, but it actually then became a triumph. You know, so artistically it was a failure, it was financially it was a failure, but it's a very American story to come from behind and ultimately triumph, where now it's sold 500 million copies, sells 500,000 a year, it's known the world over, and... You know, Fitzgerald would have been amazed because when he died, he got a royalty check for $5. And there were stacks of Gatsby in the Scribner warehouses, his publisher's warehouse. And it wasn't on a print. It's just nobody wanted to read it. So these old, dusty books were just sitting there. And now, look at it. You and I are talking about in the year 2022, and there's been just movies and everything else. So it's really quite a story of triumph. What do you hope readers take away after they read the book? I hope it gives them an idea of really who he was, really, and what he went through as an artist to produce this little nugget of gold, that he was, he was just like we are, with faults and, and hopes and dreams. And, um, and I think this will you know, sort of round out and show that, you know, for all the hell he went through, um, he produced this just literary bobble, this this beautiful little book um, that, you know, today is the final word on the American dream. I mean, if you go back, I went back and watched the 2013 film, again, The Great Gatsby, and, and that's really well done. It's much better than the 1974 film with Robert Redford and Mia, Mia Farrow. But it really, Gatsby really is, you know, it, it just really is this perfect capsule of what the yearning for American success and a certain kind of life, uh, you know, has been handed down to us, and, and it's there for all time. Some people will say that that Fitzgerald plagiarized Zelda's writing, so I was just wondering if you found anything about that um, when researching for this book. Yeah, I mean, he he used her writing in um, 
the beautiful and the damned. He did some of that. He did use her diaries in there. I don't know. I think plagiarize is a hard word, but he did use um, her material. But she had nothing to do with The Great Gatsby in terms of writing. Nothing at all. But she was his living character. And so, you know, in a way, he almost encouraged her to have an affair. You know, there's some scenes in my book where she, he says, oh, you know, go, go talk to that young yeah. uh, aviator, Josan. And, 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 and that's because Fitzgerald was always recording, always watching, always saying, oh, what's hap- really going to happen now? And, and then he, he would go back and put it into his book. So in that way, he was using Zelda quite a bit for mm-hmm. just to see what would happen. And, um, and yeah, like I say, in The Beautiful and the Damned, which was his second novel, you know, there there were parts of his diary where he he probably paraphrased. He didn't, you know, he didn't use them verbatim, but he did paraphrase. And she actually wrote an article saying, you know, oh, I recognize some of this from my... Um, uh, you know, from my diaries, huh? Mm-hmm. Mr. Fitzgerald must have gotten into those. So she sort of, you know, was needling him about that. But in terms of Gatsby, no, it was all him. I liked how much the quotes from the actual texts that they wrote were integrated into the story. I thought it made it really yeah. interesting that Fitzgerald used their relationship as a stepping point for a lot of his stories. It was really interesting. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Because yeah, I kind of wrestled with that. I thought, oh, is this smart to put in... You know, the parts of Gatsby will slow it down and all that. But I felt like I had to show what, you know, he was, you know, what he was experiencing was actually making its way into Gatsby. Thank you so much for coming. This has been William Hazelgrove talking about his new book, Writing Gatsby, which came out on October 1st. This is Megan Pidcock, and you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. <laughs>